0: You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. <laughs> um, I am here to continue our disciple series, um, which is where we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is obviously the first sermon that Jesus preached. And throughout this series, we've been looking at ways that we can um, apply this to being a disciple today in our own lives. Um, so, this week's portion of the Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew 6 19 to 34. And it's a long one, so stick with me. I'm going to read through it. It says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about, what the, about things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. <clears throat> so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Whoa. <laughs> I know, I told you it was a lot. Um, So, look, if you know me at all, you probably know that I am a pretty practical, logical, realistic thinker. For example, overseas holidays. If I'm flying halfway across the world, you best believe that I'm trying to cram in as much as I possibly can every single day trying to see as many things as I can see and do as many things that I can do. So, in order to achieve this, there's much planning, much organisation, um, there's research into where, where do I want to go, what do I want to see, um, there's booking flights, hotels, uh, transport, tours. Um, Brett and I have been on lots of overseas holidays, but we've, we often will take other people with us or we'll do portions of the trip with other people. Um, and there was a particular trip where we went to Thailand with Brett's brother, Stephen, um, and it was... It was one of our first overseas holidays. Well, it was definitely our first overseas holiday (coughs) where we were going to a country where the main language was not English. So we were going to Thailand. And so not being able to necessarily communicate effectively with people already made me a little bit on edge because I didn't know how that was going to go. But, you know, we had our plan. We had everything organised, so it was fine. I was okay. Um, But this particular day the boys decided that they wanted to go to a suit tailor to get some suits custom-made while we were over in Thailand because it's cheaper over there. Um, And tuk-tuks are probably the easiest form of transport in Thailand. So we had discovered this pretty early on and we started taking tuk-tuks to all our locations and that was just the easiest way to go. But we got in a tuk-tuk this day and what we didn't know is that sometimes tuk-tuk drivers, they have their own ideas of where they want to take you. <laughs> they don't always take you straight from A to B. Um, so, this particular day, this tuk-tuk driver decided that he didn't want to take us directly to the suit tailor. He took us to this other jewellery store of some kind. And so, we, we were a bit sceptical, but he was like, no, 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 if, we, if you just come in, have a look around, like, you know, you don't have to buy anything, just have a look, and then, and then I'll take you to where you want to go. And we are like, oh, okay, like... He wasn't taking no for an answer, so we're like, all right. So we went in and had a look around. Brett got convinced to buy me some earrings, so I wasn't overly angry about the whole thing. Um, But but then we got back into the tuk-tuk and, you know, he said he was going to take us to the tailor, but didn't. He took us somewhere else to another shop. And what we didn't know was that sometimes tuk-tuk drivers, they have... They have deals with other um, companies or other stores that if they take tourists, you know, because you know what, unsuspecting tourists, um, to these different locations and get you to buy things, then they actually get a commission of the, the things that you buy. So... We decided after the second stop at a random store that we weren't supposed to be going to that we were not going to go any further with this tuk-tuk driver because we didn't know how many other stops we were going to have along the way. (laughs) So we ended up just leaving, not going into that store and just saying, "Okay, never mind, see you later, don't worry about it. Um, However, then we got out, like we left this tuk-tuk driver but then we'd been driving a fair amount of time so we had no idea where we were how far away from our hotel we were, or how far away from the actual tailor where we were supposed to be. We we literally were just in the middle of nowhere in the back streets of Phuket somewhere. Um, Stephen thought this was fantastic. He thought this was this was the greatest possible thing that could have happened to us because, you know, this is what travel's all about. You wander the streets, you you find where the locals eat and where the locals hang out, and you know, that this is this is the dream, this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna have a wander and see, you know, see what we can find. For me, that was not okay. That was not okay at all. That just made me so anxious and so stressed because I was like, we don't know where we are. We don't know how to communicate with these people. We don't know how to get back to our hotel. We don't even know where the nearest tuk-tuk driver is. Like, we were just literally in the middle of nowhere. So Stephen and I had this massive argument in the back streets of Phuket somewhere, yelling at each other. I'm crying, trying to figure out, like, well, I don't know where we are. I don't know what we're doing. I'm pulling out my phone trying to figure out like on the map where are we and how do we get somewhere familiar like I, I just it wasn't it wasn't for me but for some people that is what travel's about so they that, you know it is about traveling the streets and and finding the places where the locals eat and hang out but for me not so much I'm definitely not the spontaneous type I like to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there and exactly why I'm going there. Another example of this is when I was learning to drive. Now, before I start this story, I would like to preface it by saying I love my parents dearly, with all of my heart. I appreciate all the things that they do for me. But I'm not sure that either of them had the ideal attributes required to be a driving instructor. (laughs) Becky? Becky knows this. Jari even knows this. (laughs) I... I, um, my mum, she likes to call the shots. She likes a little bit of control. And sometimes with her sitting in the passenger, passenger seat, you'd swear she was going to put a hole in the floor with her imaginary brake foot trying to control everything. Um, so I'm sure teaching her daughters to drive or to literally take the wheel was, you know, almost a punishment to her probably. Um, and my dad, well, he's Spanish, so... If you know any European families, I'm pretty sure they're all very similar, they don't converse in a civil manner, instead they yell interactions at each other. Everything's very loud, it's emotional, there's lots going on, um, and you know, it doesn't matter whether they're happy, sad, or somewhere in between, the volume levels are always at an all-time high. Now. I really do love my parents and I do feel like I kind of have the right to poke fun at these attributes that they have because I think they have both most definitely passed those on to me. And needless to say, I will not be the one teaching my son to drive when that day comes. That'll be a Brett job. Um, But this particular day, um, my parents decided that my dad would be the better choice in teaching me to drive. So this was right at the beginning of my driving journey and I was learning to drive a manual car so, if any of you have ever driven a manual car, which I'm sure you have, it's, it's not easy to begin with. It's not, it's not a skill that's just, you know, you just pick it up and off you go. It's, there's a lot of bunny hopping, there's a lot of stalling the car, there's, it's just, it's not pretty to begin with. It's very frustrating and there's lots of stuff going on that you have to think about the whole time. Um, so, you know, I was very frustrated with the whole process initially, but we kept trying and we kept trying, and my dad actually remained very calm about the whole thing, which I was surprised about. Um, but finally I got the hang of taking off the car smoothly. Like, finally I just, you know, I, I got it and we're okay, and so we took to the streets. <clears throat> now, it was a quiet street, so it was, a, it was one of the back streets in our um, suburb, and there was no cars around. It was very quiet, high Got the hang of driving, and I was starting to feel very confident. I was just driving along, you know, doing my own thing. Like, yeah, I finally got this. Like, this is awesome. I can do this now. Like, I think we're good. Um, Driving along, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling great. But then my dad just screams, stop, at the top of his lungs. Like, just screamed at me to stop. And like the very obedient daughter that I am, I did not stop (laughs) I continued to drive, and instead of stopping, yelled, why, why, why? And I'm looking frantically around trying to find a reason why I need to stop. So that's that's an insight into my brain. I, I don't like to do things just because we should do things. I like to do things because there's a reason for it, and I like to know what's the reason, what am I doing, and why am I going there? So all that to tell you that when I look at this scripture that we're looking at today, I only got through about the first two verses before I had questions. So the first two verses say, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So my first question was, what are treasures in heaven? And then why do I want them? So why, why do I want to get treasures in heaven? Sorry. My voice is a bit crazy today. Um, so, from those questions, I think we can pretty confidently say that we can define treasures on earth. That's a pretty simple one. You know, although they might be a bit different for different people, I think we can all agree that we're talking about material things that we as humans place value on. So, things... Things like technology, cars, jewellery, clothing, properties, furniture. For me, I think it's probably clothing. Um, I love buying new clothes. However, I don't like spending full price. I don't like paying full price for things. So every year in December, I save up all my birthday and Christmas money and go out and spend money at the Boxing Day sales. Now, although I enjoy purchasing and wearing new clothes... I also understand that we as humans can't take our earthly treasures to heaven with us. So therefore, we're assuming that heavenly treasures are something completely different to our um, material treasures here on heaven, in in on earth, not heaven. Um, so <clears throat> scripture shows us how we can store up treasures in heaven. So most of us know the example of the rich young ruler. Um, The rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so in Mark 10, 19 to 21, it says, But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat one another. Um, Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. <clears throat> Luke twelve thirty three elaborates on this and it says, um, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. So Jesus wants us to sell our possessions. Now, I don't, think that, I don't think that's actually a literal command for us, um, but I think it's more of a way of reminding us that our material things that we have should not hold so much significance on our lives. Um, but that's not where the statement finishes. He doesn't just say, okay, sell your possessions and then you can, you can have treasures in heaven. He then asks us to give of, of those treasures. So he asks us to give to those in need. So it's not just about removing the sense of value that we've placed on these material things. It's equally important or maybe even more important that we then use what we have to benefit others or essentially to put others ahead of ourselves. Um, So instead of using our money and our resources solely for the benefit of ourselves and those that are closest to us, we should be using what we have to benefit and build up others. Okay, so we know how we can store up treasures in heaven, but we still don't know what the treasures are. So stick with me. Like I said, the Bible doesn't specifically define this, um, but let's take another look at a verse in Malachi 3, verse 17. It says, "'They will be my people,' said the says the Lord of heaven's armies. "'On the day when I act in judgment, "'they will be my own special treasure. "'I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child.'" So God's speaking here about the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He says, they will be my own special treasure. So we know that the currency or the treasure of earth is material possessions and money, but we don't know what the, what the currency of heaven is, or we haven't defined that yet. So God refers to the people of Israel as his special treasure. People, people. Jesus employs us to love and help people wherever we can here on earth, and then we will store up treasures in heaven. So John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And Jesus continues in verse 17, this is my commandment, love each other. This was the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples before he went to the cross. And I believe that these verses show us that the currency of heaven is not in fact material possessions, which we had kind of gathered anyway. Instead, it's people. It's actually souls and and the people that we love. So by storing up treasures in heaven, by loving and helping others in our daily lives, we have the chance to show them who Jesus is. We're showing them um, the attributes of Jesus by the way that we live. So, you know, we don't even have to go out physically telling people about Jesus. Like, specifically you know saying those words all we need to be doing is is showing that in the way that we live um, by the way that we conduct business through our work ethic our language our persona and our attitudes and by doing this we can lead them closer to a relationship with him and maybe that's our treasure could treasures in heaven simply be those who we've had a hand in leading to Jesus, being there in heaven with us for eternity. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to spend the rest of eternity with the people that we love and care about? I think we really need to move beyond the idea of sending treasures ahead to heaven or gathering material things up there somewhere. I don't believe that's how Jesus wanted us to necessarily interpret this scripture Storing up treasures in heaven, it's about moving people closer to God, moving them closer to the kingdom of heaven and to a relationship with Jesus, and about turning the focus away from ourselves and our own treasures and achievements and putting them back on Jesus. So to put that into practice, I think we need to ask ourselves, how am I utilising my resources to position others to receive from God? Or, on a more practical level... How can I use my house, my time, my money, my car? How can I use the things that I have to show the love of Jesus to others? Now, that alone is a lot to digest and a lot to apply to our own lives. But it's only the beginning of this scripture that we're looking at today. So we're going to look at verses uh, 24 and 25 and 32 to 34. They say, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Alright everyone? So don't worry. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. (laughs) No dramas. Cool. Like we're all good with that. Um, I think we all know that that's definitely easier said than done. um, Because we're living in stressful times, right? There's lots going on at the moment. There's COVID happening. There's wars going on. We live in a stressful time. Which when we actually take a moment to think about it, it almost doesn't make sense to a degree. Compared to how things were when these words were written, um, we're actually so much better off these days. When Jesus walked the earth, people worked for very little money. They had to make their own clothes, they had to toil and um, harvest their own food. Women didn't really have a recognized place in society, so I probably wouldn't be up here talking to you. Um, Mental health wasn't something that was recognized as a priority. Today, we have structural houses, we have easy access to clothing. We have fast food, free healthcare, we even have access to an income without employment if we need it. Yet somehow, we're still anxious, worried and stressed. And why is that? When we live such privileged lifestyles, why is it that we're so stressed and worried all the time? I think as a start, it can be because a lot of these privileges that we have in the everyday, they come from, well, they appear to come from the world and the currency of it, from money. And sometimes it can almost feel like money is what supports and provides for us. Think about it. This morning, I woke up in my nice, cosy, warm bed. I turned on the light. I had a nice warm shower, got dressed into my clothes, ate some breakfast, got in my fueled up car, and then I drove here to, to be with you guys. And what got me all those things? The electricity, the groceries, the clothing, the fuel. Money. So money is what gives us what well, we need to survive in the day-to-day. Money keeps a roof over our heads, it keeps our families fed and clothed, pays for our petrol to get around. And I think that makes it very easy for us to sometimes be super reliant on money. And sometimes it even becomes like our fallback or our safety net for how we're living. Now, I know you're all still wondering why my dad told, told me to stop that day in the car. You're all, you're all dying to know, aren't you? <laughs> Um, in actual fact, there was no reason my dad asked me to stop that day. There was nothing immediate, there was no immediate danger, nothing happening. It, he was actually trying to teach me a lesson when he asked me to stop the car. You see, as a learner driver, we're taking steps to ensure that we know how to drive the car. So we're, we're working on the abilities of driving. We're working on steering the car, we're learning when to brake, when to accelerate um, you know, we're focused very much on the abilities and the intricacies of learning the basic skills of driving. And because we're so focused on those smaller things, sometimes we don't see everything else around us. So as a learner, you're required legally to have an experienced driver in the car with you. This side. Um, <laughs> this side. Um, And that person, they already possess the skills to drive. So they they know how to drive a car. They're well on top of that. They they know the basic skills of driving. And yes, they're there to teach you those skills. But I think even more importantly, they're there from a safety perspective. They're there to see the bigger picture. They might see something that you as a learner haven't got the ability to see. or, Or you may have just missed something along the way because you're so focused on the intricacies of driving. So, you know, they might see a car coming at a roundabout or a person trying to cross the road, a cyclist or a red light. Um, These are things that as a learner we might miss sometimes due to our focus on the the immediate things that we think will protect us, like the brakes. Um, And I think sometimes we might do this in our lives too. We put our trust and our faith in things that we think are going to keep us or our lifestyle safe. Things like superannuation. We spend years and years and years of our lives working and working to build up this superannuation so that when we retire, we can live a certain comfortable lifestyle. But what happens if your superannuation fund crashes? Where where does our safety lie then? Because, you know, there's always a possibility that the things and the people of this world might fail us. And that's what makes our lives so stressful and what causes us to worry is that we put our faith and our trust in these worldly things that have the potential to fail us at some point but Hebrews thirteen five says don't love money be satisfied with what you have for God has said I will never fail you I will never abandon you and then in verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, he will never leave you nor abandon you. So I think we need to ask ourselves where do I turn in a crisis? Or who or what do I turn to when things are falling apart around me? Because we just can't keep putting all of our trust in physical things or even in people necessarily. Jesus is our only reliable safety net. If we have him as our safety net, not worrying, all of a sudden becomes a whole lot easier. But can I be completely honest with you this morning? I personally struggle with this sometimes. And I think because I'm quite a logical, realistic thinker, um, and, you know, I like to know what's happening and where I'm going and how I'm getting there, I think sometimes I can fall into the trap of thinking that it's almost passive to put my trust in Jesus. Or it's you know, it makes me look like I'm not playing an assertive and active role in my situation. But this is actually not the case at all. When God created the world, it wasn't just this big bang and then everything just was. God had a plan. He took days to carefully place specific things at designated times so that everything worked intricately well. Nothing is purposeless Even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had a task. They were tasked to look after the upkeep of the garden and make sure everything ran smoothly. And we have a purpose in life too. You know, we're not just sitting here waiting around for God to do everything for us. I don't think that's what trust in God looks like. It's not just sitting back and letting God do everything. Our purpose is to love one another as Jesus loved us. And in order to do that and do it well, I think we need to learn to manage and utilise our resources, not only for our own sake, but also for the benefit of other people. See, trusting God, it's not at all passive. If we relate back to the learner driver, um, Jesus, he's our experienced passenger driver. He's not there to control everything. Um, he's not there to do everything for us. He's there as an observer. So, you know, our... our um, our experienced driver is not there to interject all the time, to do everything for you. They're there to ensure that you have the opportunity to learn. So you as the learner are driving the car and you're taking the reins. You're you're doing as much as you possibly can to, you know, learn to these skills on your own. But if there is a moment of... Unsafety if there is a moment of something something comes up and you know the person thinks you're going to crash your car or you're going to be in danger, then they will of course interject and, and do something to help you and I think it's similar with Jesus He's not there to control everything he's not there to do everything for us He's there to let us walk the path and walk the journey but he's there as an overseer He sees the bigger picture he knows the plan he knows exactly what's happening and where we're going but he's there to oversee. So I think on a practical level, um, when we're looking at trusting in Jesus, it's not about sitting back and doing nothing. It's as simple as making a plan to manage what we have well. For example, with our money, making a budget, planning payments, and then praying over that plan or that budget and asking God to protect it and to bless it. It's about praying for opportunities to use what we have to benefit others. Because I think when we can include God in our plans and in our planning process, He then becomes our safety net. He then becomes our fallback. So that we know that even if the whole monetary system was to collapse tomorrow, Jesus is our safety net and He still remains strong and steadfast. So I encourage you this week to ask yourself, how can I use my resources to position others to receive from God? But also to ask yourself, what is my safety net? Is there something that I need to change? Is there something I need to shift to move my safety from the things of this world back to Jesus, the ultimate safety net? for listening to this podcast.